because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Your presence is more precious than the greatest thing that we can have. And you just set us free just with your word, just with your presence. pray that as we gather around your word today that we would hear your voice and Lord we wouldn't be reluctant to respond to your voice that we would hear the heartbeat that's behind the voice the heart of love that longs for us to come into what is in your heart doesn't want us to fall short of that in any way the heart that pursues us that pursues us won't let us go to see, ears to hear, the shepherd speak to his sheep. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, church. Hello, family. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's Incredible how God, I said to someone in the prayer meeting, actually if you just came to the prayer meeting you don't need the sermon because the prayer meeting was the sermon. Different ones praying what he's laid on my heart and it's just like it's one voice, it's one word from him that is very clear. Um in this time of just being with him and loving him and worshipping him, the same voice, the same word. So I pray that we would, we would have ears to hear. You know, Danny talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, can we hear the word? You know, everything starts with that. If we are... Um, If we are positioned to hear, we will hear. Be assured his sheep hear his voice. There's no some people hear his voice and other people's don't. His sheep hear his voice. It's really about the positioning of our heart. So I pray that in this beautiful time, there's been a, a positioning, a, maybe a repositioning to hear um, what, he's, what he's saying. You know, she talked about Samuel having to position himself to hear and, and then he heard what, what God was trying to say to him, to come into more that he didn't know even though he was in the house. A beautiful picture. And today I'm, I'm talking about the born-again life, which is really almost like part two of Paul's message last week where he explained what are we born into? Um, what is that? You know, do we have do we have a revelation of of this kingdom that we're b- born into, or is it um, kind of fuzzy and, and has no impact? And you know, the the fact that we we are powerless, completely powerless. We are dead, spiritually dead. And then we are born again. So we don't come in alive and then we kind of get changed a bit. Do you see what I'm saying? So until we know that we really are dead and that we have no hope 
whatsoever of even if we tried our whole life, the most trying, hard, striving person that has ever happened in the world, we can still not know God. We can't. It is impossible. And his beautiful work is that he reveals himself. And he, you know, Jesus talked about being not only born of, of the water, which is indicative of flesh, it's our physical, but being born of the spirit. And when we're born of the spirit, that's the starting point. And the starting point is a starting point. It's not the finish line. It's the, it's the starting. And so today it's about living in that life that he has given us. Because it is possible to start on the starting line and stay on the starting line for your whole life. Because you actually have no revelation of the reality that he has called us into, to live into, in and from. Um, maybe just we don't understand it. We've never been taught it. We've been taught something else, maybe. Um, so it's taking us a little further. Some of the things I'm going to um, talk about if you listen to it with the wrong mindset, you could come out feeling confused at the very least, condemned at the very worst, which is the last thing that God wants to do. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And save is not take them past the starting line. Save is complete wholeness. That's what salvation is. And... I would love to call up wonderful Sarah here, since she is an artist and I am not, um, because I, I would love her just to draw a picture, and this I, I just heard described recently, and it struck me, and I thought, man, that is such a good picture, and it's about... It actually describes a line out of Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is probably one of those psalms that everybody knows. And the particular line is right at the end, and it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Remember hearing that before? Sometimes it says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow. The word I want to talk about is follow. Follow is the word radaf, probably haven't pronounced that right, but it means to pursue earnestly. So the picture is that God is in a police car and he is pursuing us earnestly. The, the lights are going, the siren is going, and he is after us. Now, the thing is, we associate that with, oh, I've done something wrong, he's going to pull me over and give me a ticket. But in his trunk, he has goodness and mercy. He's pursuing us to give us goodness and mercy. So when we are on the road of life, and we may be going all over the place, or we may have... Um, a car that is unworthy for the road, right? That its wheel's about to come off or we're about to go over a cliff. He is pursuing us to stop us and, and say, I love you so much, I want to turn your head and show you the right way and help you and give you mercy at this point and give you my goodness at this point and put you on the right path. That's what he's doing today. He's pursuing us. There, here he is. I want that to be at the top the whole time. That's the good thing about a whiteboard, is that there's no screen that goes over onto another slide. It's there. So everything you hear, I want you to hear through the filter of, he's pursuing us. He's pursued me, 
and continues to pursue me all the days of my life. That is my security. That's what's going to get me over the finish line. Not my ability, but his steadfast love that pursues. And sometimes he's pursued me in things where my focus has gone wrong. And he has sent someone. He has sent someone to speak to me and to speak his word, to speak his life, to speak his perspective so that my mind and my sight that was getting down like this is lifted up and I'm turned around and put into the right direction. He does that with me. He does that with all of us. Most beautiful thing. So what I want to describe is two ways of living. A nice straight line. And these are pictures of, like we could have used all sorts of pictures, I'm sure, but there is a picture that I've had in my mind that I, I can relate to this way and I can I know this way. <laughs> and I don't want to go back to that way. I really, really don't. But these are two ways of living as a born-again believer. These could be pictures of two believers, two churches, two groups of people. But there's, there's significant differences. And his cry and call that I feel and I, and I know and I've had confirmed through all the prayers and everything that's been going on is that he wants to call us into life. So, like I say, it's not about condemnation. It's about pursuing us to call us to the goodness that he has for us. So, Sarah, if you could come and do the next two pictures. So on the left, this was just the way it came to me in my mind, there's a mouse in a mouse wheel. And it's on the mouse wheel, going, is it possibly going? And it's just thinking all sorts of things on that mouse wheel. Like, if I go a bit faster, if I go a bit faster, I might get a softer bed. And then when I have my sleep, I can sleep on my soft bed. But I'll get up in the morning and I'll go even faster and faster. And then I'll, I'll get my babies a big soft bed. And then I'll get up in the morning and I'll... Do you see what I mean? Picture plate spinning is another common feeling. And I could relate to plate spinning a lot for so much of my life. Just another plate. And someone asks you to do something. So like, don't you realise how many plates I'm spinning? Yet you're asking me for another one? How, I, I, can't, I can't. I'm stuck. Do you know what I mean? So there's this feeling of containment. But we are absolutely set on pursuing going around on that wheel. Can't see anything else. We don't even see the reality that actually we're in this glass cage box and there's no escape. That thinking is death, isn't it? We, sometimes we recognise some of this, but we, we talk ourselves into thinking, well, that's just life. I'm a human being and that's life. Can I tell you some good news? Ah, oh, this is so good. Jesus didn't live like that. He didn't. And because he didn't, I don't have to either. That's why I know that that is a lie. Everything that is coming out of that wheel, that process, those thinkings, is a lie. It's a deceit. And in fact, Jesus came to show us the lie that it is and to bring us into what he lives from. And that's the cool thing. The picture on the other side, again, this is my, just my imagination. I see this majestic stag, 
in these open, like rolling hills. And he is at rest, but he is caring for things. He is free. He is ruling over that territory, but with this beautiful gentleness and humility, he knows who he is and that he's been placed there and he's free. So that's just a picture because sometimes pictures stick in our minds. Words can kind of go in and out um, and hopefully the word will stay with you as well. But these are the two things. The, the main section of um, scripture that I'd like to go through is Luke 12. <clears throat> when we see verses uh, 1 to 7, we're going to see something, and I'll just talk to that right now. The very first thing where I perceive a difference, ooh, maybe black, just trying to think of a green. Well, tell me if this doesn't show up. The main difference, I think, we need to start off at last week. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, we're talking to Nicodemus, remember? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the new birth is a sight. It's an opening of eyes to what we can't possibly see. Outside of Christ, we can't see this. We have no concept of it because we are spiritually dead, right? So he births us with his spirit into a new kingdom and we see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, unless that happens, unless that process happens, you can't see what I'm talking about, what Jesus is talking about, and what I'm going to be talking about. Okay, so this is the first difference. Because the thing is, even though these are pictures of two born-again people, even though the sight has been given initially, we can choose to look away and not to pursue after what he has opened up. So it is possible as a born-again believer to be in a, in a state of blindness, okay? There, there's a slight difference, though. If you've truly been born again, you're going to be even more discontent than someone that's never been born again. The unhappiest people in the world are carnal Christians. They really are. Because people that have never been born again have never tasted anything. But there is something of the spirit that has been deposited in us at the new birth experience that will never be satisfied outside of God himself. So let's put blindness here. Nope, it's not the right one, is it? Blue? Okay. Blindness. Okay. And sight. Now, what I'm talking about is um, a blindness to the reality of God's eternal spiritual kingdom, his timeline, his um, things beyond this natural earth, the things that we can see and touch and taste. Um, And we see this coming through very clearly in these first few verses. So let's read together. Um, So Luke 12, verses 1 to 7. Um, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, that's a crowd, isn't it? He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, 
Wherever you have said in the dark, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you, Jesus is speaking straight, plain English, whatever he Hebrew. Um, I'm speaking English, I hope. I warn you, I will warn you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Look what comes next. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. Interesting that that comes straight on the heels of this thing like, whoa, you're talking about God that's going to send me to hell. Actually, he's talking about a life because this life here is living in fear. It's living in fear of man. Hypocrisy comes out of the fear of man. It covers up to look good. It puts on a mask so that it keeps its appearance as though it is something that it's not. That's all about how other people perceive us. So that is a, that is a living under a fear. We're going to live under a fear. <laughs> so don't get hung up on this fear thing. It also comes from trying to live righteously in our own strength because that is not possible. I'm telling you now, I've tried it. And I just said before, if you had the person who tried the most in all of the universe for the whole of their life, they still couldn't do it. It is impossible to live righteously before God. It is impossible. So when we are trying in our own strength and it's all about being a better Christian and doing these things, adjusting these things so we are a better Christian, we are living in a hypocrisy because we're actually not living according to the truth of God's word. We're living to our own mindset, which is trying to please man. It's all about what other people think I should be doing. And what I'm interpreting is how I'm to do it. It causes anxiety and stress, that life. It really does. Instead of freedom and kingdom life. And so Jesus, our shepherd, pursues us. Because he doesn't want us in the fear of man. What does he want us in? The fear of the Lord. Okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Why? Because he's real and he's the boss. It's the reality. Jesus has just stated reality. That's all. It's just that if you're blind, you can't see that reality. So he has to say it. He has to say, look... you're focusing on this, you're focusing on this, but this is the reality. And we're going to see the parable that's coming up as well, that he's talking to someone whose focus is in the wrong reality and God calls him on it right at the end. Why does Jesus do that? Because he's pursuing us. He has and is holy. He cannot be not holy. And he is crying from that place of his knowing reality that he has given birth to us and that there will come a day where he will have to decide. 
And he doesn't want to be that to us. He is crying out and saying, do you not realize how valuable you are? He's talking about sparrows that, I guess in those days, it says they were sold for two pennies. I don't know whether they ate them or offered them as sacrifices, to be honest. I don't know. But they're these little birds, right? And those, not one of them falls to the ground without the father knowing. And he's, he's saying, if that's the kind of love that father has, can, can that open your eyes to receive the father's love for you? It is so much, much greater. You are so much more valuable. He says this quite a bit through this passage. And the, the hairs on your head are numbered. It's funny, eh? It's not, I know how many hairs. It's like, I numbered them. She's a blonde, so she'll get 127, because I love Mel, and she's going to have 127. She's a brunette. She's going to have, oh, 115, especially. You know, I'm a brunette, was a brunette. And... (laughs) Oh, Sandra's going to get 110. Yeah, he numbered. The detail of that. It is scientific fact that every single person has a specific number of hairs. And yes, they can generalise. You know, the blondes have the most. It's okay, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) Beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? So this assurance of his love is the thing that is right there along with this fear of God. We have a revelation of his love. And we don't, we don't hear. If we did... We wouldn't be living here anymore because that changes everything. In my life, probably the revelation of his love has done the most shifting me out of one way to another. It's probably been the thing that has shifted me the most out of striving in my own strength. Um, I've shared that at another time. When we continue on, we're we're just taking a few more verses, uh, 13 to 21 now. Um, So he's just been speaking about this reality, that that God is over all, right? And that he's the one that can, you know, that we are to fear. And his love and his valuing of us is so supreme. And this bloke comes up and he says, oh, um, Jesus, uh, teacher, I want you to tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. It's like, where did that come from? And, and Jesus says, you know, who, who's, who's appointed me as judge and arbiter of those kind of things? You know? Now there's, yes, they did, sometimes the rabbis did Um, make decisions about inheritances and stuff like that. But look at his response. Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. But look at this. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Could you have it more succinctly put? Unbelievable. So we think greed. Oh, I'm not greedy. <sighs> but Jesus knows the heart of man. And the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. We must realize this. We need him to reveal what our heart actually is. I need him to reveal that. To set me free from things that I'm still not free from. Yeah? 
This greed is a is a insidious, horrible thing. It's going up there soon. We're going to look at this parable, which is Jesus explaining this in in a in a pictorial form. So he says, "The land of a rich man was very productive. That's good. No problem there." Ah, now the man began reasoning to himself. We have the beginning of our problem. Saying, what shall I do? Such a worry, I've got so much abundance, what am I going to do? Can't fit it in the barns. <sighs> so, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my old barns and I'll build bigger ones. So they're my barns. And I'm going to build bigger ones for me and my stuff. And there I will store all my grain, my goods. And then listen to this. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat and drink and be merry. <sighs> See the goal of this mindset is an ease from all the toil. (laughs) You know, the very thing that we're wired for is the rest of God. So this thing is parading itself as the rest of God. Take your ease. It's parading itself like that. And it's in us. It's in the heart of man. It's in the heart of our society, especially Western society. We know this. And Jesus put his finger on the button because he said that in your abundance, even when you've got abundance, there's no life. So it's parading itself and it's raising itself as a vain imagination up against the knowledge of God that says if you pursue this, you will have ease and you will be out of rest. You'll come into rest. If you just have more things, more maybe you paid off your mortgage, that would be nice. But is that the source of my rest? No, 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 which is such good news, isn't it? We don't have to spend our life on this, this thing, going round and round and round, this wheel, to pay off the mortgage or to get a bigger house or to provide for the grandkids or whatever it might be, the greatest intention. But that is not going to be the source of your rest. And it's a lie and Jesus has spoken it out. Absolutely black and white. There is no life in this. You know why? Because he wants to condemn us? No. Because he wants to show us where the life actually is. Yeah? So we have to have a wake-up call. Otherwise, we are like the little mouse who's got their head down and we're like this and we can't see a thing. We're blind because of our perceptions and our mindsets. So, where are we going with things here? I guess we've got greed in here, haven't we? You know, close on the heels of greed is worry. It's actually greed in another form. Okay. I'll tell you why. So, greed can never get enough. Okay, so you have a goal that this is what you're going for. But then you get there and you haven't got that rest, so oh, it must be a little bit more. I need, uh, I need a bit more, you know. And uh, no, no, I think I need a bit more. I, I, I actually need a really good holiday now, so I've got to save up and I've got to. That, that's my rest. That's going to be my rest. I'm so worn out. I need a holiday, you know. And I'm going to be rested when I have my holiday. No, it's it's a lie, guys. It's a lie. It really is a lie. And it's a lie because it looks 
kind of believable on the outside, and we also see everyone else following it. So we think, well, if they're following it, it must be all right. Look at those people that got all that money. I mean, if I had all that money, you know, I, I would be living so much more peacefully. You know, I wouldn't be under anxiety and worry. It's just because I don't have enough. And worry is afraid it will never have enough. So those two things are very related, greed and worry. And the beautiful thing is that he came to set us free from that. Oh, it's so good. Because he came to bring us into rest. Yeah? And his rest has got nothing at all to do with money, with houses, with holidays, with even health, dare I say it. I can testify to that. No money, no job. For the last six months, Chris has been without a job. Okay? He has been in the most excruciating pain for close on two years. Has he been at rest? Yes. Have I been at rest? Yes. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, look to the birds. It's coming up. And he said, look to the birds, Sandra. Look at their posture. Are they worried and anxious? No. They are at rest and they are joyful. They are rejoicing and praising me. And they're expectant to gather up what I'm going to give them today. And he told me to have that attitude. And that is what, like I have, I have been set free from the fear of lack. To such a, through this experience of not having anything. How is that? It's his inner working, you see. And he has to do that and he has to speak it and he has to, he has to pursue us and reveal his ways so that we can live out of his ways. And would I want to go back to just thinking it's all about the job? There was a time right in the early stages I was thinking that we were going to have to sell the house, that I was going to have to find different employment, and God sent a man to say, Sandra, don't do that at the moment. Don't do that. You just wait. You just walk this out. My head was trying to work it out. How, you know, I'm prepared to give up the house. It's okay. I'll give up the house. You know, I'm prepared to give up my job. I was ready for that. But I was still trying to work it out. I didn't know what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. I actually, to be honest, I have no idea how he did it. I, I, I Literally, I have no idea. I know that we have been given certain gifts and we have paid bills and a lot of the gifts that we've been given are still in the bank. And I don't get that. I don't get that. How does that happen? We had another thing, it's a little thing, but hopefully it encouraged you because it encouraged me. When we came back, Chris and I came back from being away, a youngest son had been looking after the house and he said, oh, mum, I'm sorry, I think I've run out, um, run your gas tank out. You know, we use uh, external tanks for our hot water. And I said, oh, that's all right, Pete. You know, I'm sure it's ready to, to um, renew and I thought, when did I last do that? So I got on the app, good old rock gas, they've got this app, and it gives me, you know, I ordered another tank, and it gives me when the last one was ordered. And I went through, and I thought, this is funny, this is really funny. So I went through from the beginning of last year, we were, we were averaging a gas tank to replace it every just over six weeks, six weeks and a third I worked it out. We get to this last one, and it lasted eight weeks we were still living there in fact I had my parents come and help while Chris was this is the widow's oil is it not you know but I didn't even realise it it was like oh yay he's shown me something that was there you know a lot of the stuff I don't understand I don't but I don't actually have to because I'm, I'm free 
when we, when we came to the stage, and it was the end of August, where Chris was um, obviously at a point there was no way he could work. He was really, really trying because we, we knew that the options were take medical, whatever they call it, retirement or something, and you get three months' pay, and then you're not allowed to be re-employed again. That was one option. And we had to have a surgeon's certificate saying that he wasn't fit for work. Well, that was pretty obvious anyway. The second one was that he could take six, week, uh, six, months, sorry, six months' leave without pay. And he also had to produce a surgeon's certificate saying that he would be fit for work in six months. Well, that was pretty hard for the surgeon because this condition wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. They were hoping it was going to get better. And in some ways, God used that to force a medical decision, which was, we'll take the bladder out. Now, they've never done that with this condition before. The surgeon that, there's only one surgeon that does that. So they completely take the bladder and the prostate um, gland out, and the prostate, I should say, and then they do this amazing surgery where they make a new bladder out of the upper bowel. They call it a neobladder. Isn't that incredible? You know, in the old days, it was like an external bag. That, that decision, I think, was partly forced by the fact that work had put this line in the sand. And, and I'm very grateful. I'm absolutely astounded that he was given that. But when they took the bladder out... It literally had the capacity to hold 30 mils. That's just over a tablespoon. And the ureters going up into the kidneys were all dilated, so you know things would have been backing up into the kidney and he could have had renal failure. Um, it was very dramatic. So that was a, a provision of God in that place and in that time. But getting back to this... Um, where was I going on this? <laughs> At this point, um, I'm, I'm, I've lost my place. Where on earth did that go? Okay. Not worrying. That's right. Fear of lack. I'm sorry, I don't usually have these blanks. Anyway, it's, um, it'll come to me. It will come to me, I'm sure. The, the process of this has been the most profound process. It really has. And I know where I was going to go. Um, we went and said goodbye to everyone in, in his work, and he picked up a few of his things. At that stage, you probably saw he was going around in a wheelchair, so we literally had him on an office chair, wheeling him to his desk to get his stuff, and wheeling him back, and his friend was wheeling him out, and I was walking alongside his old manager. Now, his old manager has a very compassionate heart, and he was really concerned for us because he knew what our financial situation would be. And he was saying, look, I, you know, I feel so bad about this. You know, we've kind of forced this. Um, and you know, I, I just hope you're going to be all right. And I said to him, you know, we have a supplier that you don't know about. And then I thought, oh, I actually better, I, I better clarify that, because he might think, I've got a really rich aunt somewhere that's just promised to, you know, and I, and I said to him, you know, my father in heaven owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's just got to sell a cow or two. <laughs> that is the reality. I don't know how many cows he's sold. But it's real, guys. He is our father. He values a sparrow. <laughs> How much more does he value us? See, we don't need to know the how, the when. We just need to know that he will not let me go. The beginning of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. That doesn't mean I'm going to be inundated with all these worldly goods so that I get tangled up in the fear of man and greed. 
It means in whatever situation I am in, he will supply my need. Now, I'm not just talking about physical need. There was a time early on that he supplied my need to be my husband. When Chris was doped up so so much with all these drugs and morphine and stuff like that, and he, he would go to bed and he was out. You know, and I remember there was a precious time where dear Paul saw me in this moment and I had woken up the night before and I just longed to hold Chris and say him I loved him, you know, and he was out to it. And he he was he wasn't there for me in the way that he'd always been, you know? And God instead of leaving me in that place, he supplied a brother to talk, uh, speak his word that he would be my husband. And he was my husband through all that time in a way that has built our relationship, our marriage, into greater depth, greater beauty, greater love. It's not dependent, but it's interdependent and it's free because we're drawing from him in this beautiful way. So when he says, I shall lack nothing, he means I shall lack nothing. So if someone dies that's close to us, we want that, but he will be to us what we need at that time in every situation. So this beautiful thing that he carries on with um, he said, we're going 22:34 now. He said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, I've just given you this parable. I've just told you that there is an eternal realm. It's not just about the physical that you can see. I've, I've told you that there are these two realms you can live in with the fear of God that is the reality of what actually is, or you can live in this, this box, this cage of fearing people. For this reason, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, to your body, as to what you will put in. And here it is again, He's so clear, for life is more than. Life is more than. Life is more than. You can fill in the rest. He sees food and clothing in the body more than clothing. But life is more than work. Life is more than marriage. Life is more than my child. Life is more than the best thing that the world can give me. The greatest scene of nature. Life is more than the most profound thing that happens to me on earth. Life is more than. And some of that stuff's pretty, pretty awesome, isn't it? But you see, awesome is not, pretty awesome is just like nothing when you come into life. It's like, what was that? You know, it, Paul talked about the former glory. He says, nothing. You know? So he pursues us to get us out of this and into this, yeah? And, and he talks about, you know, if you, um, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your lifespan? Sometimes it says, uh, you know, like make yourself taller, that'd be handy. Um, but obviously no problem to God, because he says if you can't do this very little thing, very little thing, add an hour, God's added years to our niece's life. Yeah, he does it. But we can't. Certainly not by worrying. Far out. That's going to take the years off, isn't it? We we know this, but we still consistently live out of this way because we can't free ourselves from this way. But we can receive his way. We can receive his goodness and his mercy. We can't earn it, we can't beg him for it, but we can receive him. We can submit to his way. And he talks about the lilies, beautiful, beautiful stuff. 
And then he says, <clears throat> for all about down in, I think it's 31, 30, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. So in other words, you're surrounded by people that are eagerly seeking these things, the clothes and the... I mean, we, we talk about clothes and, and food, but actually it's iPads and it's phones, an updated phone, and it's, you know what it is. Better schooling for our kids, swimming lessons for our kids, music lessons for our kids, all of those things, they're great things to seek after. But, but that's now our pursuit and we're on a wheel and we're on a wheel. And, and we can't see God. Why can't we see God? Because we must get these things for our, do you know what I mean? He's not our source. Oh, he's not our source. That's why we're missing out, isn't it? And it says, um, we know this passion comes out in uh, Matthew 6. Um, f- seek his kingdom. In Matthew 6, it says, seek his, first his kingdom and his righteousness. So it's actually this whole thing of what are we seeking? What are we seeking first? And it, it do, it, it's an attitude of heart. There is nothing wrong with things. Please don't come away thinking that I'm against riches. The land was very productive for that rich man. Who made it very productive? It wasn't the rich man, that's for sure. God causes good things. Every good thing comes from him. But it's just what does our heart do in that? Does it draw from that and need it? Or does, it, does that very beautiful thing cause us to say, God, you are, the, you are my source. It's like miracles. Are miracles the thing that is the very beautiful thing that we're looking for? Or are the miracles turning our eyes to God who's causing us to come into this miracle? Each one of us are meant to be a living, walking miracle. Transformation from this world into that world is a living miracle. It can't happen any other way but the power of God coming in us. Yeah? Yeah. Poor. If we are truly demonstrating the life of Jesus, so the way Jesus lived, the manner in which he lived, not just what he did, we think the manner in which he lives is, oh, I'm casting out this. And I'm, the manner in which he lived, he loved with unconditional love. He laid his life down. That's the manner in which he lived. He lived without fear. He lived without worry. He lived without anxiety. The manner in which he lived shows us the kingdom reality, and it's for us. I believe that with all my heart. It is for us in absolutely every way. He showed me this in the beginning of this journey. He's fascinated me with the fact that he was asleep in the boat in the storm because I could not compute that in my head. It wasn't my reality. When I've pursued what is that? What is he showing me? What, and he is revealing that's for me. There is a reality of that now in my life that wasn't there. Three weeks after the surgery, we have a massive earthquake. Remember it? The day after we have a massive storm. Do you remember that? We, um, I had to take Chris over to Wakefield to get his... You know, check that the, this neobladder was watertight. Um, and we went and um, visited Gaz, who was in hospital at the same time. I had another hour or so. Then we were on the road, and of course all the traffic was held up a long time. But praise God, we didn't get held up all of that time. It was sort of like, I was about half past 11 or something, we got home. I opened the front door, and the front entrance was covered with water. Do you know what came up in me? And I kid you not... Joy at that point. What? I look at this and I think, our house is flooded and joy has come up. The, the word is saying she laughs at the day, days to come. It's in my spirit and it's coming up. That's not what I was. My darling eldest son is there. You go and ask him, that is not what I was. All the time that he lived with me, I, pretty much, I was 
a stressed out, fearful, anxious person. And anything that came my way was overwhelming. I'm going to write that down because that's a really good word. You feel overwhelmed, don't you? It's just one thing after another. Better, better, better. The washing machine's broken down. Now the car's go- I, I, this, and there's this, and there's this, and I don't know how to pay the bills. And, and then the flip. You know, it's like, that's this world, and that was my world. I only can write that and draw I can't draw it. I can picture that <laughs> because I've lived it. But I don't live it now. This is joy and freedom. We've sung about it. It's not just a pithy thing that, oh, wouldn't that be nice? It's real. It's real. You look at Jesus if you can't believe me. Look at his life. I can testify to what's happened in my life, but if you, if you don't trust my word, go to him. He is showing it. It's absolutely real. So this is all to do with um, our life source. Just want to finish that last part about the worrying. So um, seek these things. Seek his king, first his kingdom and his righteousness. And by the way, his kingdom is not like, I've got to get people saved now. That's seeking his kingdom. I've got to expand his kingdom. So that's going and evangelizing. And, and if I've got... This is how I lived. This was my belief system. That's the only reason I say it. I, used, I was so fearful that I was unproductive because I couldn't tell you, you know, that I had 10 souls that had come through my witness. Seeking his kingdom is seeking this, what he is, who he is, his ways. It's his lordship. It's him ruling as king and having dominion over all that I am. That's seeking his kingdom. And his righteousness is simply what he does in us. This work of transformation that happens not by my effort, but by my surrender to the Spirit of God in me, renewing my mind. I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, not because I'm saying, I must think this way, but because the Spirit pierces my heart like he did in all these instances. And he's birthed his word in me. It's written on my heart, and now it is. So I didn't stand at the door looking at the flood and thinking, I must feel joyful now. It's really important to feel joyful now. It just was. It just was. This is a, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You see, the life source here, I don't think I should even say life source. I just think I should say the, the perceived life source is abundance because it isn't life. So there's a perception that life is found in abundance and all this stuff. So... Life in inverted commas. <laughs> That's the best way to do that, eh? In abundance. It's, it's in things. It's in it's all the stuff that I've talked about. You know, if I have more, if I have all that sorted. It's, it's all this mouse on the wheel thing. It's the deception. The, the word talks about... Um, the deceitfulness of, of wealth. It's one of those things, you know, the parable of the sower, and there's one of them that comes up amongst the thorns. Well, deceptiveness of wealth is one of those things that strangles. What does it strangle? It strangles fruit. It strangles maturity. So if you look at that thing, it says they don't bring forth fruit to maturity. So the seed is planted, but because of this, we stay babes. That's what happens here. So we've got this, we've got this 
born again, the spirit deposit in us, but we stay babies all our lives. And yet there's this beautiful freedom, this mature freedom of open space that is for us. But it is a process, guys. It's not just, oh, I I recognize I'm here, so I must just believe, 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 and I'll be there. You actually have to walk with him. You have to allow him to work in you and not trust that you can do it. That, that's where there's this deception that I think we, you know, I see there's something more, so now I'm going to strive towards it. It's, it's, a, it's a surrender, actually. Um, and it's a surrender of control because <laughs> control is in this fella. Yep. So the life, the source here is God. Now that's not just is God for what God can do, what God can give, although those are wonderful things. It's just God. It's just him. The greatest joy of living in here is that your love is greater than life. It's that being with him. No matter what happens to me, in whatever, you know, though the fig tree doesn't fall, uh, you know that you know these scriptures. Though we're going through these excruciating hard times with all this, the intimacy and the oneness with him trumps everything. That is my granddaughter. <laughs> Beautiful. What a beautiful gift. So, I think I've given you most of these testimonies. I think the evidence is clear in Chris, in, in what, what is in him. I have lived with him. I have not seen a complaining man. I've not seen a man put on a face when he's in public and then just when he's at home. It's genuine. It's genuine because God spoke to him and he, he was broken before God and he allowed himself to be broken before God. God said to him right at the beginning, will you trust me? Be still. Will you trust me? Will you allow me to walk through the process with you, to take my hand and walk you through the process? And he has been in a place of rest and peace throughout the most excruciating, I can't tell you, even at a point when he literally thought he was going to die because the pain, and I've heard from others that are in the medical profession, they have never seen anything like it. And he was talking about, if I die, please make sure that... I hope you don't mind me saying this. (laughs) That I'm a donor... And I was trying to lighten up the moment and say, honey, I don't think anyone wants your bladder. <laughs> but I said, your ticker's pretty good, you know, trying to get him off the subject. And lie. No. And then it was like, and if I die, please be, know that you're free to remarry. And I'm thinking like, please shut up. It's not, it's not helping. Um, so we've been to the extremes and seen God in the extremes. I've seen him out of his head, out of his head, crying to Jesus. It's not a put-on. It's not a cover-up. It's not a mask. It's the real thing that he has for each one of us. The last thing is readiness. Be dressed in readiness, it says in verse 35, and keep your lamps lit. See, there's a a different perspective, completely different perspective. It's not temporal. It's eternal. You know, after the going in and seeing the flood, the joy, the verse, the next thing was, ha, more training for reigning with you. Honestly, it was like the reality is. All of my life, 
I'm not looking for him to come just to get me out of here. I'm looking for him to come because I'm longing to be with him. And I know that every single day of my life counts. And that the way I respond to him is my training for what he wants for me in the future. And eternity is going to be way longer than my piddly little life. But my piddly little life is not so piddly because it's really important what I do with that. Yeah? My purpose is to live, not me living, but Christ living in me. Yeah? That, that way, only that way, I would then be the demonstration of Christ on the earth. Yeah? And people would see Christ. Awesome. So I pray that today has helped you see. I pray that it has maybe given um, a sense that there is something to go for, that if you're stuck, you don't need to be stuck because he's the one that does this transition. But we need to know that there's more for us. Yeah? I think we just leave it there.